Uh, I hope you're ready to experience God's word, God's presence. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Just so excited to be sharing in our teaching series called James. So I want to encourage you to get out your Bible, open up to the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 1. This is week number Two, if you don't have your uh, physical Bible, you have maybe have your phone, download the Bible app and the Uversion Bible app. Click, click on events. If you have your location services on, you should pull up New Life Church or just search New Life Church Kearney, Ogallala or North Platte. Uh, Nebraska, where one church of multiplications right now gathered in three different communities and then globally online. So grab, grab that and get the sermon notes and follow along with me today. We're going to have a great day. It was a great week last week when Pastor Jeff kicked off the series where we looked at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And I'm just going to pick up right where we left off. And let me just give you the big theme for today. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about temptation. Does anybody, is anybody ever wrestled with temptation ever like this morning all right one time when I was I was young I was at the store and there were these cookies and so I'm sta- standing there looking at these cookies and the lady that worked at the store came up and said what are you doing she said it looks like it looks like you're uh, trying to steal a cookie and I said no you got it all wrong I'm trying not to steal a cookie is what I said <laughs> Trying not to steal a cookie. So we're going to talk about temptation today. And uh, the last week, Pastor Jeff led us to this point where we talk, we're talking about faith, which James is really all about. What does real faith look like? How is it lived out? How is it is expressed? And one of the things he talked about is that real faith looks like asking of God without doubt. So asking with faith, believing that God has what we need and he is ready to meet every need that we have without doubt in our heart. But if we doubt, we, when we ask, we're like uh, the metaphor James uses is a wave of the sea that's blown around by the winds. And then in verse 8, he says, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You have this double-mindedness. I, I, I believe, but I doubt. I have faith, but I fear. And there's this instability in the life of somebody who has a, a roller coaster faith. Have you ever felt that about your faith where you're on a roller coaster that, that you believe, that you trusted God, but in the next moment it seems like, where did that faith go? I have some doubt in my life. You say, God, I, I need wisdom. As James says, God God has wisdom, we should ask. So God, I need wisdom and you have wisdom and I'm asking for some of your wisdom, but in the midst of that, we feel like I don't know if God's really going to come through and give me the wisdom that, that I need. Or maybe you're, at, maybe you're at new life and you're worshiping God, you're encountering God, maybe today or in recent weeks, and you sing songs with powerful lyrics declaring faith-filled things like, God, I am who you say I am. You crown me with confidence. And you sing that, you feel it. Man, you're moved with the conviction that you know who you are in Christ. And the very next morning, man, you feel like, I don't even know if God likes me today, right? There's this roller coaster aspect sometimes to faith when faith doesn't have an authentic basis in a a relationship with God. There's instability. And James says you're double-minded, unstable in all that you do. And so really the book of James, there's so many things to it. James is kind of known as the the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's filled with wisdom on how to live out and what it means to live out this life of faith. And so he gives us a picture 
in his letter of what real authentic faith looks like. And in the midst of it, there's warnings. There's warnings for those who would say they have faith, and yet they're really, it's a dead faith. He calls it, you'll see in later weeks, that, uh, uh, that thinking you have faith, it is, if it really isn't real faith, he's going to tell you what it looks like or doesn't look like, and that type of faith is dead, which is kind of an oxymoron because faith is alive and well and living and active. And so there's this warning for those that live in deception. Yeah, I have faith, but really it's, it's not a real faith. But it's not just a chastisement. That James gives us this roadmap, an on-ramp to engage true life-changing faith that comes from a relationship with Jesus, the faith that needs to grow. So let's go to James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone. Another version says, God is never tempted of evil, or God is never tempted of sin, and he doesn't tempt anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us or lure us and drag us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. Are you seeing the progression from desire to luring away to sinful actions? And then when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. In verse 16, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. And I think he put that there in verse 16 because, then, because it's possible to be misled about the truth that he's bringing us. And here's what I want to, uh, to remind you of if you, or to let you know if you don't know this, that we are all in a battle. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're in a battle. Come on, we're in a fight. We are in a battle. All of us are in a battle in this world. And uh, let me just tell you, today at all of our locations, we're going to give you an opportunity, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, to take a step of faith, surrender your life to him. You don't have to wait for the end of the service when a campus pastor comes and leads you in surrendering your life to Jesus. Uh, but let me just tell you that the battle of sin and temptation to sin doesn't end when you surrender your life to Jesus. In some ways, the, the battle increases, the fire and the heat of battle increases. And so there are two uh, primary enemies that we are in warfare against when it comes to the issues of temptation and sin. And I think this is important, uh, these are important lenses to see this through. It's a really a, a a theological paradigm for us to see it, and it's this, that our primary battle or op opponent is our own sinful nature. That's the primary battle. It's our own nature that's bent on independence from God, bent to sin, to, to be our own person, to do things in opposition to God's ways. We inherited that uh, from the original sin of Adam and Eve, and sin entered in the human race, and so this nature that wants to sin. So we are saved, we are forgiven for our acts of sin. God puts his spirit inside of us at salvation, and yet we still contend with this nature that's in opposition to God's spirit that wants to do its own thing. And I think all of us can identify uh, with that. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote a lot about that battle, that warfare that's happening. I want to do what's right, but there's this other law at work within me and my sinful nature that it leads me to do the wrong thing. So we're in this battle. So the primary thing is the sin, our sinful nature. Secondarily, our sinful nature has allied forces like a military, uh, a military unit. They have allied forces, and that is Satan and the demonic forces that come along with Satan. And so we have this enemy. Uh, by the way, let me just tell you that Satan, uh, he does have demonic 
forces, a third of the angels left God's presence with him, and their, their goal is to, to uh, stir, up, stir up trouble for the children of God, to, um, to cause issues in that sinful nature in the realm of temptation to try to take you out. But Satan is not everywhere at once like God. So when we say that Satan is fighting against us, it's most likely not Satan, Lucifer, the actual angel himself. He's not God. He's not everywhere at one time. So I seriously doubt that he's here in this place, Satan himself fighting against you. But he does have demonic forces, principalities and powers, the Bible calls it. And so when we talk about Satan or the enemy, that's in general what we're saying. We're talking about that that crew of, of combatant enemy that wants to take us out. So that, but they're secondary, secondary to the primary battle that's in our own nature that wants to do its own thing. But it is very real. Satan, the enemy, wants to take us out. And he will use our sinful nature and the temptations that we naturally gravitate to to, to take us down. Jesus, in fact, said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as we, and so you can see in Peter's life, Jesus is letting him in on something that's kind of in the spirit realm. Peter maybe wasn't aware that Satan has even asked to sift you or to take you out, Peter. So we have a very real spiritual enemy. So we're in a fight. Turn to your neighbor once again. Say, we're in a fight. Come on, we're in a battle. But the real fight in this battle, the real fight is not physical. It's not physical. The answer to this spiritual battle, if I can just really give you the answer to the whole message today, the answer to the problem that I'm presenting to you today, the answer is to possess and to grow a real spirit faith that leads to more and more greater capacity of love for God. To possess and to grow a real spirit faith that in turn grows our love for God. In fact, I don't know which comes first, a love for God and that faith, a faith that, that grows our love for God. I think they're synergistic in how they work together. And if, if you've ever played in a sport like, like football or maybe other sports that do this, but years ago, long time ago, uh, many moons ago, uh, I, played, I played for a while in college football. And one of the things that we did in college, we actually did this in high school, but it was much more you know, refined in college, is when we were playing another team, the week before, if they were a big opponent, if it was a big game, sometimes it was weeks and weeks before, we were in, in a room watching film of that team. We were watching their games. Somehow we got people to get video of their practices. Maybe it's illegal. I don't know. But we got film, and we were watching our, our opponents. We were trying to understand their strengths, their weaknesses, their their offense and their defense, their plan, their secret plays that no one else has seen. We're even looking at the, the opponents that would play directly across from us in our position to understand what we're dealing with. And the reason why that we did that is, is to understand our enemy and know how to defeat the enemy by studying our enemy. And what's great about James is James gives us a game film analysis of our enemies when it comes to temptation and sin. And he tells us that it's subtle and invisible, but it's very real and active in our lives. And so you have a sin nature, I have a sin nature, and then we have Satan and his demonic forces that wants to use every opportunity to take us down, to take us out of the game. And, and Satan is studying our game film. 
Did you know that? The, the evil forces, the enemy, he's, he's wanting to, he's Googling you. He's looking at your YouTube, ver, you know, highlights of, of your game, of who you are. He's, he's looking at who you are to pick you off, to take you down, to trip you up, and to bring things your way, to, to make ev- the most of every opportunity of temptation in your life. And at the moment, sometimes the moment that you least expect it, sometimes you just know what's coming, right? You, you know better. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know temptation's coming. But the enemy will often sometimes just at, at the wrong moment tempt you. Tempt you uh, in, in areas that won't really want to take you, take you down and catch you off your guard. So James thinks we need to understand how temptation works, and so let's work on it for a few moments as we look at James chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 13, and he says this. He says, when you are tempted, everybody, uh, let's just read it all together, uh, together. Here we go. Ready? When you are being tempted. All right. You know, when you're, when you're a preacher and you're asking people to read it together, you got to get the cadence down, right? Right? And uh, so let's try it one more time. I'll do a little better. Ready? Here we go. When you are being tempted. All right. It was all right. It was all right. But you get it, right? I tried to put the emphasis on the word when, right? It should be italicized. When you are being tempted because it's not if, but when. Temptation is a certainty. It's not a matter of if, but when. And so then there are some areas of temptation. And I'm going to talk about First, some broad areas, like big category subjects of temptation. And Scripture says it like this in 1 John 2. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh. There's one big category, the desire of the flesh. And then the desire of the eyes. And then another category, the pride in riches. All right? It comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. And so you see these desires, right? Desires that can bring about temptation. Can you relate to any of these that he mentioned? The desire of the flesh, that's our humanity, our temporary body. It might be food, it might be sex, it might be substances, right? It might just be, it could be a host of things when it comes to the desire of the flesh or the desires of the eyes, Right When it comes to the thoughts that you allow to come into your mind through your eyes or looking at somebody and, and being jealous or envious. And, and the eyes are the gateway to a lot of areas of temptation. They're the pride of this life, riches and possession. Can you relate to any of those? Jesus can. Did you know that? Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest. And by the way, the whole concept of high priest in Hebrews 4 is referring to Jesus. He is our high priest. But he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Did you know that? How many are thankful for that? That we have a high priest who is, let's flip it around, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus understands testing and temptation. It doesn't mean that Jesus was tempted in the exact format and the exact way that you were, but in every category, in every big category that you have been tempted and I have been tempted. And so it gives me great confidence to know that my Lord and my Savior, the one who saved me and is walking with me, that there is nothing that I will go through in my life that Jesus cannot empathize with that area of temptation. 
Think about um, this. If you didn't know, Jesus, when he came to earth and when he was uh, living out his earthly ministry, about three years of time that we see, we get to see about three months of a three-year time period. There's a time where the Bible says in the gospel that Jesus was led. Some translations say he was driven, but he was led into a wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Now, in this case, it was, we know it was the devil himself, that Jesus was tempted by the devil himself. And so what were some of the temptations? See, Jesus was fasting. He wasn't eating. And so the temptation from the enemy was turn the stones into bread, the lust of the flesh. He was shown, uh, Jesus was shown the kingdoms of the earth and the temptation was to, to have everything, the power and the, the rulership and the authority. This is the lust of the eye, the lust of riches and possessions, right? And then he was tempted to throw himself off the temple mount, right? The, pride, the temptation of the pride of life. And so Jesus was tempted. Guess what? Your pastors are tempted. We're human just like you. Some of you know that full well. Some of you, maybe you, you don't, you're unaware of that. We are. You're tempted. I'm tempted. Sometimes maybe you'll be praying and you'll have thoughts while you're praying. Think about this. You're praying and you have thoughts in the middle of praying that tempt you. Sometimes maybe you're in the middle of worship and you're singing, you're focusing, you're feeling God's presence, you're singing a song at church and then something catches your eye and then there's temptation. It's like, wow, where did that come from Sometimes the temptation, even as you're following Jesus, seems so intense that if you were to, to kind of default to what you know is true and who you are in Christ and default to evaluate what, you know, this temptation in your mind, you would think, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore because of that thought and that temptation. And so Jesus understands, every pastor that you have understands, and I know that you understand temptation. Verse 13, he says, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong or evil or sin, and he never tempts anyone else. So James wants us to learn that when you're facing temptation, you need to size up the situation, understand what is going on. The only way you can do that is to digest this truth, first of all, that God is not tempted of evil or sin, and he does not tempt us with evil or sin. And so when I'm in a situation where I'm being tempted with evil or sin, I need to recognize because I've already digested the truth that God is not in this. That God is not in this moment bringing this temptation. He, may, he will allow the temptation to come your way. In fact, if you're a child of God, nothing comes your way, whether it's temptation or a trial, without permission from your father. It's not like Satan has equal power to God that he can kind of move past God and get to his kids. And so he will allow those things, but God is not in the temptation to try to get you to sin. He will test you, but he will not tempt you to sin. But it's so important for us to understand that God is not in it and that God cannot. I think it's bigger, a bigger thought to understand that God cannot be tempted of sin himself. Because maybe you think, well, I've never even thought of it. I just never thought that God might be tempted to sin. I, I think it's more important than just brushing past the acceptance that God is perfect. Now, recently, one of my friends, 
he inspired me that I needed to work out a little more and eat better. I know looking at me, some of you are thinking, I don't see what he's talking about. Um, but he was right. And so I, I got into a fitness routine. In fact, in fact, I joined his gym and, and I have some fitness coaches now in my life. Shout out to Trevor, Dakota, and Josh through the unholy trinity from hell. But actually, no, I'm joking. They are amazing coaches. They just push you, push you really, really hard, right? And these guys are fit. These guys, I mean, they, they know what they're doing. And they hold me accountable, and they, they push me. But just imagine you have a fitness coach like, like I do that's, that's pushing you to, to be healthy, to, to be fit, to exercise, right? And you've been doing it. You've been pressing on, pushing through. You've ate, you've ate so much chicken and salmon and broccoli that, you know, it's just all you can think about. And you've done it, and you're there working out. And they're yelling at you, you can do it, come on, two more, two more, while they're eating, eating donuts. <laughs> or pizza. Donuts or pizza. They're donuts and pizza. A pizza donut is what they're eating. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's like they're challenging me not to be tempted, to don't give in, right? Avoid temptation. And here they are giving in to the temptation, It'd be ludicrous, right? It would be, actually, it would be a job that I would like if, you know, if you could stay fit and eat that, but it doesn't work that way. But I am thankful that we have somebody who's not just our coach, but he is our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our leader, he is our God. And as he's challenging us and pushing us, he can sympathize because of Jesus and empathize with our weakness and our temptation, but he is immune to temptation himself. He is a perfect God. And so some of you today, you need to get that truth. Some of you, you're, you, man, you're really identifying with where we're going in this message. Maybe it feels a little uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. He's highlighting some things. Why? Because he loves you. And you understand temptation. There's temptation that comes up. It's come your way. Maybe you've given in far too often. Hopefully that, uh, that's followed by a sense of conviction from God's Holy Spirit, followed by repentance, which is a change of mind and direction from that sin, turning back to God's ways. But some of you have blown right past temptation, and you've allowed that to lure you away to the point where it gave birth to something. And the, and the, the end of that road is, is death. Now, there's hope. There's hope at the end of the story, the next paragraph of this talk. But there is a warning that James has given, given us that if you allow temptation to proceed down the road where it gives birth to sin and sin, it will lead to death. It will lead to death. So we're going to give you an opportunity, if that's you, to come and to encounter Jesus to allow forgiveness and mercy and grace and his spirit to come and to give you all the power that you need to live a victorious life. But if you're stuck in a sin habit, if you are stuck in a sin habit, can I just warn you, I know this from experience, not just evaluating scripture, that sin habits create momentum towards more temptations. If you get stuck in a sin habit, it just creates this momentum for other areas of your life to be tempted. And it's so much easier to give in and follow that track that will ultimately lead to death when we have a sin habit in our life. So if you're flirting with temptation, if you're back at that stage, can I just warn you and, and just remind you, God is not in it. 
God is not in it. And so I could give you some examples uh, of these type of areas. Can I ju- I'll just give you one example because I don't want, I want anybody to feel like I'm picking on a certain thing. Really, the Holy Spirit's the expert of talking to you in your spirit and letting you know where you're at with this. But let me talk one that's really like very general and I think all of us can relate to. If you're in a conversation that seems to start to, it starts, not seems, it actually starts to go south. It goes towards this zone we call gossip. Everybody understand what gossip is? It's kind of a churchy word, but I think it relates to outside the church too. We all understand what it, gossip is. If you don't, read Ephesians 4.29 and just think of what the, what, um, what the opposite of that is. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful that it will encourage and build up everyone who hears. That doesn't always mean it's just flattering one another. Sometimes it's challenging one another, specifically in that verse. But gossip fits in the realm of unwholesome, up unhelpful, tears other down. It's, it's seated in rebellion. It's seated in pride or jealousy or all those things. So, so what do you do when a conversation starts to go down the slippery slope towards gossip. Well, we need to develop a radar system, and that's just a, it's, it's more than just a, an awareness. It's really the Holy Spirit living his life, God's life in us and through us. We fill our life with the truth. Ephesians 4.29, I don't want anything to come out of my mouth that's unhelpful, that tears others down. I'm going to fill myself with the truth. God, I can do all things through Christ, right? I'm filling myself with the truth in the Holy Spirit. Is that radar system in the moment where the conversation is going downhill and temptation to gossip or tear, tear one another down in the conversation is there. All of a sudden it's there. What do you do? Holy Spirit reminds you and then you, you need to say, Something, I, I'm just in context of this message, that you know what? God is not in this. God does not tempt me to sin. And so, this conversation is bringing me to a place to tempt me to sin. God is not in this. And so, you, you got to do something. You got to turn and run. You got to hang up the phone. You got to hopefully do the right thing and say, you know what? This conversation is not helpful or beneficial. Let's honor, let's honor people with our speech. If you start to become apathetic in your relationship with God and maybe you've become so much more in love with the things of this world and life, the life here and now, but which by the way, God wants to give you life and life to the fullest. He wants you to enjoy this life and enjoy relationships, but we can, in the, in the neutral part of that desire of the love of this life, it can grow to an infatuation and really a, a preference towards the things of this world where we think they're more pleasurable and more beneficial than God himself. And then what happens? We get stuck in this life and we fix our eyes on what is temporary and, it's, and not what is eternal. And now we don't have any time for God. We don't have time to spend in his word, to connect with him relationally. Why? Because we love this more than we love him. And the answer, the answer to all of that, again, is to, to possess and to grow a real authentic faith. And by the way, this is not a guilt trip message. This is just kind of like a mirror for us all to hold up to us and say, Am I in the faith? Where is the condition of my faith? And the answer, if, if we don't see, if we are lacking in something, is to go to Jesus. Guess what? He is the author of faith. Not only the author, he's the perfecter of our faith. So we just come to the source and say, God, here I am. Like, fill me. I surrender. Use my life to glorify you. And so that's the answer is to put, 
to put God first in our lives and make time for everything else. And that's more than a discipline. It's a core value that comes when you're more in love with Jesus than everything else in this world. So verse 14, here's where James says temptation comes from it. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. It comes from our own desires. So if you're tempted, it comes from, guess what, your desires. It would have been nicer if he said the temptation, it's always from Satan. Satan's always the one tempting us. But the more that I walk in this life called being a follower of Jesus, I realize that the greatest enemy is the enemy of my own sinful desires and my sinful nature that battles against my spirit. Now, again, Satan is very real. He's going to play on your sinful nature. Um, he's going to play on your own evil desire. But James tells us it's your own sinful nature, that, e- that desire that's within you, that can lure you away in the progression of temptation towards sin, towards death. And so I have desires. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have desires. All right, you do. And if they're not surrendered, if they're not surrendered to the Lord, they can lure you away. And if we're brutally honest, all of us could probably name our favorite, and that might not be the right word, but let me just say it, our favorite sin. I mean, hopefully we wouldn't like write the, here's my favorite sin. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's what... It's what tempts me more than other things. There might be a list of those things. And there might be something for someone else that just really is not a temptation for you. But there's something. How many, how many of you, you just, you love donuts, can't push them away? Come on, come on. Talking about donuts too much at church. How many, <laughs> how many are free of donuts, right? You could take them or leave it. It's not a big deal. All right, yeah, good, good. But for all of you just raised your hand, I bet there's also there's something else for you. And we're talking talk about food. Maybe food's not your deal, but there's something else. And I'm joking a little bit about food, though food can be a, a temptation that leads to um, uh, bad, bad things in our life. But we may have a sin, we, have a, we may have a sin in our life that, um, or a sin in someone else that doesn't tempt us, but there's something most likely in us that is a natural proclivity that our sinful nature wants to take on us. It's wise to understand. It's studying the game film of ourself to understand who we are, right? Psychologists understand the, the proclivity to, uh, that we have, the predisposition to certain kinds of sin in the Bible. The Bible's like, we knew that all along. James says, I've been telling you that for a couple centuries, that uh, every person is dragged away by their own, their own desires. There's this personal desire that you have. You might share it with other people, but it's custom for you. And so we have to learn what sets us off because your enemy, he's going to bring it up over and over and over. He's not very creative. He just knows that's you and he's going to bring it up. And so we, we have to understand the tactics of our enemies. Anybody remember when video games were real in like, I guess, easier to play? Uh, I was playing playing a war video game with my son and it was some war video and with two, two people and I'm just like I don't even know what we're doing I don't even know like where is everybody like where are they well they're hiding you got to do and you know you have a couple lives and at one point I'm like Ryan man I just I can't do anything he's like dad you died like 10 minutes ago you know <laughs> but you remember when video games were just they, I mean they were better um Mike <laughs> 
Mike Tyson's Punch-Out video game, and it was a boxing game, and you had all these different opponents, and each opponent you had to learn. You couldn't go on YouTube or figure out, you know, how do you defeat this opponent. You just had to learn. Maybe your friend would tell you if they figured it out. But one of them, King Hippo, you remember King Hippo, this big guy, he's on the screen. And so what you had to do with King Hippo is just you had to punch him in the mouth, and he would block it. But once you punched him in the mouth, he, he would lift his hands up, and his boxing drawers would drop a little bit. It was rated G. It was, you know, all good. But they would drop, and so he would reach down to, to pull those up. And while he's pulling them up, then you could just punch him right in the belly, like boom, 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 six or eight, right? And then, then like, his life level would go down, and then he would be back. All you had to punch him in the mouth again, punch him in the belly, right? Every guy on Mike Tyson's Punch-Out had a combination of punches and things that you could do to take them out. Did you know that every single one of us, we have a combination punch in, in the areas of our temptation that was customized to us? might be similar with other people that we know, but it's custom to you, and the enemy will Google you. He will find your weakness. And for some of you, he's baited the hook, actually for all of us. But for some of you, you've taken the bait and you've been enticed and dragged away and now you don't realize that you're choking to death on your own desires. Can I just encourage you to turn to Jesus, come back to him, receive mercy and grace in your life? Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That's the, the dangerous area. So what do we do? What can we do? I think the solution, at least in part, is found in the second part of our passage, verse 16 and 17. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Now, that just might sound beautiful and poetic, but I think there's an answer here for us if we will just look. Maybe one of the solutions to resisting temptation or defeating temptation is after you understand it, after you fill your, your heart with the truth that God is not in it and I know who I am, you understand your, what you're bent towards in temptation, you arm yourself with all of that and then, and then you focus on every good and perfect gift that God has given you. When you focus on every good and perfect gift, you fix your mind on things above, you focus on whatever's godly, pure and honorable then you'll have far less, far fewer opportunities to be distracted by the evil desire that will drag you away and destroy you. Take your mind off, in other words, take your mind off the junk by putting your mind on things that are honoring to the Lord, that are within your purpose. It's not just avoidance. It's filling, it's filling the, the behavior with things that honor God. And that's what true faith is wanting to lead us to do and all of this is set up we're going to circle back around to verse 12 because I think verse 12 sets up the whole thing I just brought it at the end as the the punchline if you'll get this it's a great promise powerful insight as to what God is looking for in this whole arena of faith verse 12 God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation how many how many are thankful that God has a blessing available to you that when you go through temptation and trial, if you endure it, there is a blessing, right? There's a blessing. And then it says afterwards. So after this life that you're living in where you've endured temptation, after this life, they will receive the crown of life. That's how I know it's after this life because that's in eternity when we're in heaven. 
we receive eternal life, the crown of life that God has promised to those who what? Who love him. And so what gets you the crown of life? Is it enduring temptation and being a pro and never giving into temptation? It's, is it endurance? No, it's, it's your love for God. What God is looking is for authentic faith that's, that's growing in your life and that's mingled with a, just a passionate love for God. He's looking for, that's like almost faith and love for God are so intertwined, it's inseparable. He's looking for your love for God and that is the reward that you get. The crown of life is for your love for God. And so today, if you've been dragged away from your love for God. You've been dragged away. You're stuck in sin, a sin habit, or maybe temptation has too much of a pull on your life. Let me just tell you, the kindness of the Lord leads us to turn away from our ways and go his way. So can I just invite you back home? If that's you, would you stand with me today? God, we thank you for your word that speaks right to the heart of the matter where every single one of us is living, what we're wrestling with, what we're dealing with in our life. And so right now I pray for my friends that are here that today they're surrendering their life to you. They're coming as they are in their, in their hang-ups and their sin and their pain and they're surrendering to you and say, Jesus, be the Lord and leader of my life. And Oh God, I pray that you would, you would give them the faith to believe and that you would perfect or grow that faith as they follow you. God, that we would lean in, all of us would lean into the truth that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We would fix our eyes on that truth. We would be aware of the enemy's tactics and that we would patiently endure even when we're tempted. We'd find victory, find victory in you, salvation in you, hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.